Okay, I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so this year at the World Championships in Amsterdam, I did a little segment called 20 Years in 20 Minutes, uh, where I sat down uh, and I, I basically talked about the magic 20 years of history, having one minute to talk about each year. Uh, and while that was fun and an interesting exercise, um, I realized that uh, I had a lot more to say about each year. So I've decided to start a new meta-series, and this is truly uh, a, a, not meta, a mega, a mega-series. This is truly a mega-mega-series. I'm going to do a podcast for each year of Magic's life to talk about what happened that year. Now, I'm just going to do this every once in a while. Being that I have 20 years to do, uh, and as I do this, other years will roll by, um, this is probably a multi-year podcast project, which means I'm dedicated to keep doing this for many, many more years. So, um, so today, I'm going to start with 1993, where it all began for Magic the Gathering. I mean, technically, there's stuff that happened before 1993, but I decided we'll start with the public's interaction with Magic, not necessarily the behind-the-scenes. Um, so... Today is all about Magic's first year of life, uh, as a released product, I guess. Um, so, a little bit of preamble, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of start with Magic's public public life, not not its behind the scenes life. Um, okay, so here's what's going on. Um, the real quick story I've told the story before is Richard Garfield and his uh, best friend Mike Davis come to Wizards of the Coast to try and pitch a game that he they had that Richard had made, called Robo Rally. It's way too complex a game for a small company like Wizards of the Coast to make. It's got too many pieces and such. But Peter Atkinson says, you know, I have some ins with a place that could do cards. I know a place to get illustrations. I think we can make a game on, on you know, that are printed like trading cards. Uh, and um, like a card game. Because I think we can make a card game. Um, and what he asked for Richard is he wanted a game that was portable, obviously cards, uh, and that was adaptable, and that something that you could play, a quick play time that you could play in between role-playing sessions, I believe is what Peter actually asked for. Um, Richard said he had an idea. I think he had already toyed around with the idea of a trading card game. Um, and so one of the things that Richard was very excited about was sort of exploring the idea of a game bigger than the box, is how Richard describes it. Uh, and he loved the idea of a trading card game. Anyway, the important part of this story is Richard comes back, shows off his game. Peter loves it, thinks it's great. Um, and Richard had spent some time, you know, playtesting it and, and really had, had figured out the key of what makes it click. Um, Peter's excited. Richard spends a little more time playtesting. But finally, they make, make it, and they're going to release it. Uh, and so what Peter does is Peter drives up and down the coast, because he's on the West Coast, um, trying to convince people, game stores, to pick up this game. Because remember, at the time, Wizards of the Coast was this tiny little company who made role-playing games, and not, not super popular role-playing games. It was a very tiny little company. In fact, um, I think in earlier 93, it might have been 92, um, like, Peter had to send out a letter to, to the few employees that existed and said, look, we have no money, you know, any, everything's going to be volunteer, we're going to have to scale back. Um, and, I mean, it, it looked like, for a while, the Wizards of the Coast might dissolve and never even come to be, or, you know, uh, never make it to the point where magic would come out. But luckily, they get magic, they hold themselves together. Peter, to Peter's credit, recognizes right away that magic is a special thing. 
and he goes all out to try to get people to pick it up. Because once it gets made, like, he thinks they, they have a, a hit on their hands. And so he's driving up and down the West Coast, going to game stores, demoing the game, and getting them to purchase it. Okay, so the first public uh, appearance, really, of Magic is at Origins Game Fair. Um, so Gamma, which is the Game Manufacturers Association, uh, has a convention it runs called Origins Game Fair. Um, and that it was at Origins that Magic is first shown publicly. Not for sale yet, I believe. Um, so it was July 13th through the 16th uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Origins basically floats around every year. That year is in Texas. Um, so Peter and, you know, the, the little uh, wizards that there was packed up, went to Fort Worth, Texas, and that was the first time they ever showed off the cards. That's the first time anybody, I believe, had seen the cards, um, or any public way. He might have gone to game stores before that. But this is the first time where the public is seeing magic. Um, and it, it wasn't for sale yet, but it definitely started to get a little bit of buzz. Um, uh, and then on August 5th, um, it officially goes on sale. That, that is the uh, in-history date that the product first went on sale is August 5th. Um, now, a little later, a couple weeks later, from August 19th to the 22nd, is Gen Con. So for those that aren't aware, Gen Con is the largest gaming convention in the United States. Not in the world. Uh, I believe Essen is the largest in the world. It was in Germany. Uh, but it is the largest gaming convention in the United States. Uh, it is very focused on role-playing. And as Peter is a diehard role-player, uh, Gen Con was a mecca he went to every year. He had a great... Uh, I mean, funny thing is Peter would go on to later buy Gen Con. Um, but anyway... Uh, Peter definitely wanted to try to make a splash at Gen Con. And so Gen Con was the first convention where Magic was on sale. Um, and it just blew the, the doors off the hinges, as, as you will. Uh, it was the talk of the convention. Uh, that every year there's some game that just sort of... The, 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 there's buzz on. Uh, and for 1993, at Gen Con, that game was Magic the Gathering. Um, what happened was they thought they had brought a decent amount of product... Um, and they went through it quickly. I'm not sure whether it sold out day one or maybe day two. Probably it was day one, knowing, knowing the stories. Um, so anyway, they got it, they brought it, sold out. And then just everyone's talking about it. And everywhere you look, people are playing it. Um, you know, in early Magic, definitely one of the things about the game early on was um, this was a small company putting it out, which meant that there wasn't a lot of press on it. There wasn't, like, you kind of heard about it by word of mouth more than anything else. Um, also remember that Peter spent all his time working on the West Coast because that's what he could drive to. And so, you know, the early magic buzz that existed was mostly on the West Coast. So nobody, I mean, Milwaukee's, you know, in the middle of the country, nobody there had heard of it. You know, a few people who might have been West Coast based, but it was mostly this, you know, oh my God, have you heard of this thing? Um, and magic, you know, I mean, it's very funny now that it's entrenched that, but at the time it was like, it was this card game, but when you bought it, what you bought wasn't the same what somebody else bought. You know, that, that was pretty unheard of, that I would buy a card game and you would buy a card game, but we didn't have the same cards in our card game. You know, that was pretty, it was pretty revolutionary. Um, and on top of that, you know, it had the fantasy art, and it, you know, it, it had a lot of different pieces that all sort of clicked together. I mean, obviously, Gen Con, um, you know, Dungeon Dragons had always been a very big thing there. You know, fantasy was very big there. You know, Magic really clicked well with the role-playing crowd, especially the D&D &D crowd. It 
you know, had similar imagery, and you know, it obviously was playing around with fantasy. Um, so anyway, big hit. Um, so the one thing they did there is they did run a tournament, which uh, they would later go on in the Duelist to describe that first tournament and what happens. And they, in the Duelist, they, tried, they described it like as if it were a real duel. Um, but anyway, that was the first Magic tournament ever. Um, was at Gen Con 1993. Okay, so so Origins happens, you know, it creates a little bit of buzz. Gen Con happens, cards get into people's hands. It, it okay, we're out of the gates. So the story I tell, and I've told this many times, because uh, this is the classic Magic Origin story, is uh, Peter and company decided to print enough Magic that they thought they'd have a six month supply. Um, and they sold out of their six-month supply, I believe, in three weeks. Um, and that, it just, it went off the door. I mean, one of the things about Magic, I mean, is, and it's very easy now, you know, looking 20 years back, but they printed as much as they could. They, they, they were conservative in their estimates. Um, like, one of the things about the game is, is people talk a lot about, you know, there's some unbalanced cards, like, you know, Ancestral Recall or Black Lotus. And... One of the things that uh, it's important to understand is Richard understood that those cards would be broken in large numbers. He just didn't anticipate people would have that number of cards. You know, when they estimated how much money people would spend on the game, they assumed people would spend what they spend on any game. 30 bucks, 40 bucks, you know. And that, with that number of cards, you know, somebody in your playgroup might have one ancestral recall. Well, if one guy has one in your playgroup, you know, and that's... He's one broken card. Ah, eh, that's not a big deal, you know. Now, if somebody's a deck of all the broken cards, that is a big deal. But Richard knew that, like, he wanted to make sure there was exciting things. The only way it broke is if Magic was a runaway hit. And if Magic was a runaway hit, hey, they'd have bigger. They'd solve that problem later. So, you know, what happened was they printed the cards. You know, they knew they had a good game. Like I said, Peter, Peter really felt in his heart that this was something special, and obviously Richard thought it was something special, but it's a big difference between you recognizing something and, and it's selling well. Because one of the big things, that, again, real quick in game design, is that um, quality does win out to a certain extent, that if you have something good, other people will recognize you as something good, but there's so many factors that go into making a game sell that quality is just one. I mean, a big reason of Magic's success, I mean, partly is it's a good game, that helps immensely. You know, it had the art, and it did a lot of things correct. But also, Peter put in the elbow grease. Peter literally went to every game store on the West Coast and, and, and demoed it in person to every game store. The reason it got its foothold originally was because he spent the time and energy to get the people invested, to get the game stores invested, to get the distributors invested, you know. And obviously, the, the, the quality of Magic helped carry it through, but, you know... You having something good does not necessarily, you know, the quality will sell itself. That's not always true. You have to get people to see it. And it's very easy for people to dismiss something and never look at it. You know, I know in Hollywood that the hardest point, I mean, they used to say that, you know, the hardest part is writing a good script. And the hardest part actually wasn't writing a good script. I was able to write a good script. The hardest part was getting someone to read your good script. You know, getting someone to recognize that you've done something good. And that in gaming, it's the same thing, that, you know, making something awesome is not just enough. You have to make something awesome and then get people to play it, to recognize it's awesome. Luckily, Magic had Peter out in force, and 
it had the game of magic. So, but those two things combined, uh, some elbow grease and a truly, truly amazing game, made a hit. Okay, so August, the game's exploding. So this is about the time, by the way, where I, um, I was working in a game store, the gamekeeper in Los Angeles, part-time, because I needed to get out of the house. I was writing, I was doing freelance stuff, and I was doing a lot of pitches, but I was going store-crazy being alone. So I decided I needed to get out of the house, ended up a job in a game store. So people started coming into the game store. This is in August. I was on the West Coast, obviously. I was in Los Angeles. And they're like, have you heard of this game called Magic? Or, or this game with cards? Sometimes people don't even know the name of it. That, that's the best part, is they would describe it to me. It's this thing. And, you know, they just heard about it. Um, and Magic early on had this interesting quality in which everything just sold out. The second Magic came in, it would sell out. You know, and so people were coming, they were looking for it. Did we have it? We were a game store. Did we have it? And I had never heard of it. I was very fascinated. Um, and so finally, in late August, I went to um, a game convention in Los Angeles called, I believe, OrcaCon. Um, uh, LA has a couple of game conventions that happen every year. And there, I saw this game for sale, so I bought some. In fact, I did exactly what Richard predicted. I, I spent about 30, 40 bucks, and I bought, or maybe it's not like 20 bucks. I bought a starter and three boosters. Um, and I figured, like, okay, that's, you know, whatever, 20, 30 bucks, that's about what you spend on a game. Um, and I opened it up, and someone there helped teach me how to play, although uh, the person who taught me did not do a great job of teaching me. I was very confused. Um, he did teach me to spread my cards out, though, because he had heard of this card that you could flip in the air if it landed on your card and destroy it. So play your cards far apart. That was very funny. So uh, Chaos Orb, even then, had its... Uh... So th- th- once again, one of the things that Wizards did in the early days is Wizards said they wanted to create word of mouth and they didn't publish information about the game. For example, they didn't give card lists. There was no official listing of what the cards were. Now, there was a magazine called Shadis. Uh, Shadis was a role-playing, mostly dedicated role-playing games. Shadis um, did their best guess and made, made a card list. Um, you know, they, they talked to dealers and opened cards and whatever. They made a list. The list was mostly accurate. It was wrong on some of the rarities. They missed on some rarities. Now, remember, the other thing about the early magic was... Um, oh, and something to explain. So, uh, they were trying to create a sense of mystery... And they didn't want people knowing where things came from. Now, one of the things I've always claimed is that they, there's an island on the rare sheet, and that the island was there to confuse people so they wouldn't know where their rare was. Um, and that's not completely true. I found out after I stated that. Um, there's a guy named Chris Page who's part of the original East Coast Playtesters that, along with Scaphalias, Jim Lynn, and Dave Petty, made um, Antiquities and Ice Age and Alliances and Fallen Empires. Um, and he said to me, he goes, oh, you're, you were incorrect. I mean, partly was the sense of mystery, but... The real reason there was islands on the uh, rare sheet was they were trying to balance all the cards so they sh- all the land showed up at, at the same rarity, at the same equal, you know, at equal numbers. And in order to make that happen, they ended up having to put one card, one basic land on the rare sheet for balance. Um, and they, they didn't really... They were trying to think about trying to create balance, but they weren't thinking about, oh, you know, people would recognize they get a rare and then they'd realize they didn't get a rare. Because at the time, like, well, we're not going to say what the rares are... Um, and so early on, the idea was that they wanted this mystery. And that early magic definitely had the sense of, did you hear about this game, you know? And so, anyway... Oh, actually, I, I'm, I'm missing my start a little bit. Before I, I went to Orcon, I went to San Diego Comic-Con, which was in August, later August, in um, San Diego. Uh, it was after Gen Con. Now, nowadays, it's before Gen Con, but back then, it was after Gen Con. And it was at San Diego Comic-Con that I saw Magic for the first time. 
No, there was none for sale, or at least I couldn't find any for sale. But I found someone who owned some cards, and she let me look at her deck of cards, and I was fascinated. Um, and something about magic, just when you hold it in your hand, you see the cards, you see the pictures. There's something, I mean, there's much, uh, there's much magic in magic, if you will. Um, but one of the things that, I don't know, is really compelling is the cards themselves, just holding the cards, looking at the cards is really, it grabs you and it's exciting. Um, anyway, I got to see the cards for the first time in San Diego Comic-Con. Then I bought them at Orcon. And then I had so much fun. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get more. So I went to the store and the guy laughs at me like, oh, yeah. Uh, I, he goes, I mean, the store I went to was a store in um, uh, by UCLA. Um, and they had carried magic. But he's like, look, we, we get in and it's gone. Um, so he told me when the next shipment was going to happen. What we all know now is beta. Um, so what happens is, in Magic, is they printed Alpha, uh, but there were a bunch of mistakes. Now, for those that don't know, Alpha left off two cards. Uh, Silk Protection Black and Volcanic Island were accidentally left off the sheets. Um, and so what they decided to do was they wanted to fix that. They wanted to put those two cards on. And by adding one more land for each ba- for e- one more picture for each basic land, they were able to get the card numbers up over 300. I think to 303, so they can announce over 300 cards. Um, so beta fixed some things. Now also, there's a whole bunch of misprints. Um, see if I can remember some off the top of my head. Uh, Elvish archers was listed as a one-two instead of a two-one. Um, Orcish or flame and Orcish artillery were both listed as one R, one in a red. Where Orcish artillery is supposed to be one red red, and Orcish or flame is supposed to be three uh, red. Um, so three three colors mana and, and a red mana. Um, the Red Elemental Blast was mistakenly limit, uh, labeled as an instant rather than an interrupt, although ironically later it would be it would go back to becoming an instant, uh, so it's an errata that got undone. Um, there were a lot of examples where um, uh, instead of having the mana symbol, it would have the letter that was represented by the mana symbol. So instead of saying, you know, black, 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 it would say B, B, B. Um, they did a, a fine replace at one point, and so... Uh, the word discarded sometimes instead of being the word discarded the word card would be all capital letters so like discarded because um, I, I believe they used card as in card name and that was capitalized anyway there's there's some uh, global pasting that um, so anyway as you as you can tell Wizards had never done printing like this before and so Alpha was just riddled with mistakes um, I mean a lot was correct but there were a lot of mistakes um, as I get into 1994 my next podcast one of the early things of magic is how many mistakes were made in printing. Um, but anyway, they decided to make beta. Uh, so beta put in Volcanic Island and put in um, Circle Protection Black, which, by the way, I thought Circle Protection Black missing was, like, black was so evil that white could not stop it. I, I thought it was, like, done on purpose. I didn't realize that they mistakenly left it out. Um, I mean, Volcanic Island was too rare for me to notice that it was missing. I, I think I only had one or two dual lands in the early days, uh, early on. Um, what else mistakes were there? There was a, I mean, and there's a lot of subtle little things like Island Sanctuary in Alpha um, uh, prevents damage from things that don't have flying or Island Walk, but includes your things. So you could use Arkish Artillery and then it, it wouldn't damage you because of the Island Sanctuary. Um, there's a bunch of little things. They went through and cleaned up some of the text um, on some of the cards. So there, there's a bunch of things. Oh, Cyclopean Tomb was missing a mana cost. It just didn't have a mana cost. Um, anyway, so beta came, they fixed a bunch of the mistakes, and they put it out. So this time, 
Okay, this time they made even more than they made last time. So this time they were sure they had enough for six months. Gone in a week. In fact, what happened was, for me personally, is I showed up the day that it was coming in, before the store opened, sat in a line, because other people also knew it was coming in. Um, now, luckily, I was able to buy a whole bunch. I actually bought two boxes of starters and two boxes of boosters. Oh, real quick, for those that might not know, when Magic first came out, it came out, starters were a box of 60 cards um, that came with a rule book, and then boosters were just 15 cards, but there was no rule book. So you were supposed to start with the starter, it had the rule book in it. Um, now, also, by the way, the original starter, for people that don't know, the back of the Magic thing is the front of a spell book, and the box it originally came in, the sides were pages, like, the box sort of sold that it was a spell book. And that it showed you the, the back of the card was the front of the box, which was the, the, the little color circle. Um, and that's supposed to be the cover of a tome. And the, the box did a better job because on the side there were pages and there was a bookmark and it did a better job of selling that to you. Um, also, you'll notice on the back of the card is the word Deckmaster. Uh, the idea originally was they were so excited by magic that, that um, Peter believed that they were going to make a line of trading card games. Now, Peter was correct. Trading card game, Magic was going to be a big success, and they would go on to make some other trading card games in, in, the, in the Deckmaster line. Um, Jihad, which would later become Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Um, it first got put out as Jihad, and they got cha- the name got changed. Uh, also, um, Netrunner, I think, was put out as a um, Deckmaster game. I'm not sure if Battletech, when it came out, was or was not a Deckmaster game. Anyway, um, that was put on the back. Uh, early on, by the way... Um, uh, also, by the way, there's a pen mark on the back. I mean, we've never talked about that before. That uh, someone actually had a pen mark on the card and nobody noticed and got printed and just uh, it, it sort of stayed. Um, so beta goes up. They think that they think they have six months supply. Gone in a week. Um, so they have to go back and, and then they're going to scramble. Now the idea had always been that they wanted to do a limited run, which originally was called Magic: The Gathering Limited Edition. Um, now it's called Alpha and Beta because there were two different runs and that there's enough differences between them. Also, Alpha had the rounded corners. Beta went to the modern card that we have today. Um, and since there's enough difference between them, we ended up calling them Alpha and Beta. But technically, the whole thing was supposed to be Magic the Gathering Limited Edition. And then the plan was to do an unlimited edition, which came out later that year. In fact, it came out in um, December. So uh, August was when the game came out, uh, Alpha came out. October is when they put out Beta, which disappeared right away. Uh, and then in December, they put out Unlimited. And the idea of Unlimited was, uh, ironically, the plan was, well, we're just going to be putting this game out. Unlimited ended up being a bad name since it was not Unlimited. Um, but Unlimited meant that it was sold in more in larger number than Limited was going to be sold in. The idea was to sort of make the first ones collectible. So the idea in the early days was the first one would always be in Black Border, and any repeating would be in White Border. So Unlimited, which came out in December, was beta, again, but in white border. Um, there was one change in Unlimited, which was one of the arts got corrupted, and so they had to change uh, on Plateau, uh, and they had to change the art because they lost the original art through some data corruption. Um, anyway, uh, but other than, I think, Plateau, I think that... Uh, there were, Oh, there were a few artist mistakes. The wrong artists got credit for things, and I think Unlimited corrected that as well. So Unlimited is a few tiny changes, but all the cards are the same. There's no card differences. And I think all the mistakes in card text have gotten fixed, meaning the mistakes that were in Unlimited were outside of that. Um, 
So Unlimited came out. Now, they were willing to... The idea on, on Alpha and Beta was they had one print run, they were done. Unlimited was, oh, we were going to have multiple print runs. And so they printed what, what they thought, as much as they could, basically. In fact, early magic is them printing as much as they could, making a bunch of money, taking that money, printing as much as they could, and just keep going. And it took, it took almost two years before, like, they printed too much. You know, they, they made more than there was demand. Uh, it took a while to even get to the point where they were able to make that many cards. Early Magic just was gobbling up. People were discovering it. It was just, it was growing at such, you know, it was like a forest fight. It was just growing at such a fast rate that, you know, it started on the West Coast, but then Gen Con happened and slowly East Coast started getting it. And, you know, people, game suppliers who had been at Gen Con, then they wanted it and it just started spreading across the U.S. And then eventually, um, not till 94, but it started to be printed in foreign languages. I'll, I'll get to that when I get to the 1994 um, podcast. But anyway, so now we're in December. Unlimited came out. Uh, once again, it sells out almost instantaneously. Um, it was also at this time, I'm pretty sure, I did not, I think this is 1993. I did not look this one up. Um, they put out something called the Collector's Edition, which was all the Magic cards, but with gold borders on them, on front and back, gold borders. Or actually, just on back. The, the, it was ma- a Magic back, but with gold borders. Uh, and it was one of every card, and it was called the Collector's Edition. Um, I actually managed to buy two of them um, way back when. And it was fun because it, it gave you access to play with all the cards. I didn't have all the cards. And so it was kind of a neat way. Uh, my dad and I used to take it, shuffle it up, because uh, it came with land. Cause it, came all, it literally was all the sheets cut together. And then we would shuffle it up, and we would play with it. It was, it was great fun. It was fun to play. It just gave you access to all the cards, which um, not, not it's so easy to do anymore. Um, Actually, it wasn't easy then because it was, it, it was printed in very, very short supply. I just happened to be in the know. I was working in the game store. And so, actually, maybe it came out in 1994. Anyway, the last item of 1993, because I know, I know this came out in 1993, was Arabian Nights. Um, so here's what happened is Magic is a smash runaway hit. Um, they had not anticipated that. They had not anticipated. So they, you know, Peter went to Richard and said, oh, my, oh my God. Oh, okay, we've got to make another set. We've got to make a set. So Richard quickly put together a set. Um, and now Richard had been thinking, I mean, Magic had been made many years earlier, so Richard had been stewing for a while and thinking about ideas, so even though he had to quickly make a set, he had a lot of ideas. Um, and so Richard was inspired by a comic, uh, Sandman 50, I believe, um, which was about the, the Arabian Nights, that, you know, a, a thousand and one Arabian Nights. The, 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 so there's a classic book, um, it, it basically started, um... I believe uh, the original book was Persian, but then slowly with time, it started taking in, you know, myths from all over the Arab world, and, and, and it became sort of, a, just like um, a lot of the grim stuff borrowed like fairy tales from Europe, um, this did the same thing in which it uh, took a lot of the, the Middle Eastern sort of fables and things, if you will, and sort of put them all together in a book. And Richard was inspired by this book to make a set. So... Nowadays, we do sets inspired by, you know, so Theros takes Greek mythology as a jumping off point, but we make our own world inspired by Greek mythology. No, Arabian Nights was exactly that world. Aladdin, Sinbad, Alibaba, Sherazade, all, all the characters were exactly those characters. Now, note that legendary creatures didn't exist yet. They wouldn't exist till, till 1994 in Legends. Um, so Richard made cards that had the flavor of being unique. You know, it was Aladdin. It was Alibaba. It was Sinbad. But they, there was no legendary um, creatures yet, so they didn't have that distinction. Um, now, Richard in Arabian Nights messed around with a bunch of things. 
he messed around uh, with lands that did different things. Because in Alpha, all lands just made mana, but all of a sudden lands were doing other things. There were lands that didn't produce mana. Um, he messed around a lot more with um, mana costs and, and with drawbacks. Um, uh, it was really, I mean, Alpha had a lot of top-down stuff because he took individual cards and tried to find top, you know, the top-downness of them. Um, but Arabian Nights, you know, sort of did that even more so. Like, here are characters directly from stories. Well, what would Aladdin do? What would Sinbad do, you know? Um, and then he also went and, and, you know, those jinns and freets, and he tried very hard to sort of capture the kind of creatures that would exist in this world. Um, and at the same time, Richard really started experimenting on kind of where you could go with magic. Um, and so what happened uh, is Arabian Nights actually came out, I believe, in two... Um, there were two printings of Arabian Nights. The first one came out in December of 1993, and the second one came out in January of 2000... Oh, sorry. Uh, first one came out in December of 1993. The second one came out in January of 1994. Um, so, and the, the 1993 one, there was a mistake in the printing, um, and that certain cards came out too dark, or the mana, the mana bubbles and the, and the amount of mana that went in them didn't overlap. Um, another funny thing, by the way, was there was a card called Aladdin's Lamp. And at the time, they couldn't get the 10 inside the circle because it cost 10. And rather than make it cost 9, uh, they ended up making two circles that were 5, saying it cost 5, and then it cost 5. That, that was the solution at the time. Oh, another important story is... So Arabian Nights... Sorry. Um, Arabian Nights um, went out so fast that, um, uh, uh, so Beverly Marshall Sailing was the editor. She was the first editor, one of the earliest employees, and for a long time was the lead editor at Wizards. Um, she realized at the last minute that they hadn't done any flavor text. And so the night before it went to press, she, she had two books uh, of Arabian Nights that she went through, and all the quotes were Beverly in one night picking out all the flavor texts. Um, oh, and then, and also importantly, is originally Arabian Nights was going to have a different color back. Uh, Richard's original vision for the game was that each version of the game would be its own thing. So, for example, the first game that came out was Magic the Gathering. The second game that they were going to put out was going to be called Magic Arabian Nights. Not Magic the Gathering Arabian Nights, Magic Arabian Nights. It would have its own back and be its own game. And Richard understood that people could mix and match them. He wasn't really concentrated on the idea that, oh, we'd be able to tell what set it came from. Um... And Scaff Elias, one of these close playtesters who at the time was uh, one of the earliest people to go work in R&D, said to him, this is crazy. Like, people are going to want to mix this stuff together. Why are we, you know, if you make the back different, it's kind of implying you're not supposed to mix them together. And we want people to mix them together. And so Scaff managed to convince everybody that it was a mistake. In fact, Scaff once told me that he thought the most important... This is the guy who created the Pro Tour, by the way. Um, Scaff told me that what he considers his most important contribution to magic was keeping the back the same. So, um, I find that, that interesting. Um, but anyway, Arabian Nights came out, uh, sold out instantaneously, uh, but then it came out again, the second one came out in, in 94, uh, sold out instantaneously. Remember, for a while, like, if you wanted magic, you know, you just had to be there. You had to be there when it came out. I mean, the reason I ended up getting Arabian Nights was, um, I, in my game store, I convinced my game store to start ordering it. Um, and when Arabian Nights came in, the store got four boxes of Arabian Nights. And I said to my boss, I said, how much, how much can I have? You know, I, I would like some of this. And he said to me, you get as much as you want. So I'm, I was like, okay. 
It only existed in the store because I bugged them to get in the store. So I ended up saying, okay, I will buy two boxes and I will sell two boxes. And my thought process was, you know, it wouldn't be there if I hadn't got it. And so that way I would, I will, I will take half from me and I'll give half to the store, um, which sold out very fast. Uh, it's funny because I later found out, like, the state of Montana like, got a box. So, like, I purchased twice the state of Montana. Um, it's funny, by the way, I, I opened one box and I saved the other box, which I would later sell um, many years later. Um, I, I, I thought I was going to open both boxes, but once I opened up the first box and I realized how, how special it was, I decided that I was going to hold on to it because I didn't know quite... I knew magic was kind of becoming this exciting thing. and um, So, in retrospect, I wish I'd opened that second box. I don't know. Anyway. Um, I mean, not... Financially, it was not a bad call, but uh, anyway, I always felt guilty that I, I didn't I'd sell more Arabian Nights, but I was very excited. I felt I felt I had willpower. I didn't buy all four boxes, so. Um, but anyway, that, my friends, is 1993. So to recap, Magic uh, gets shown off at Origins in July. It comes out or, uh, on August 5th and sells for the first time. It premieres at Gen Con as its sort of big debut, uh, where it makes a big splash. October Beta comes out, December Unlimited comes out, and December Arabian Nights comes out. And that, my friends, was the very first year of Magic's life. So, uh, not next week, but I will continue this series, and next time, obviously, I'll pick it up with 1994. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. I hope you guys uh, enjoy this little dip into Magic history. Um, people really like the 20 minutes in, uh, sorry, 20 years in 20 minutes. So I hope 20 years in 20 podcasts uh, goes equally as well. Uh, by the way, I'm not going to stop at, I, I will keep going, however many years it takes me to get this thing done, as, you know, I, I will keep going until I get up to the modern year, and then probably I will continue once that, those years are done. So this will be an ongoing, th- th- this is not a series that's going to end necessarily, uh, it'll end when the podcast ends, which hopefully won't be for a while. So anyway, thank you guys for joining me, but I have to go right now, because it is 2013, and it's time to be making magic.